You're listening to Post Studio Visit, and I'm Jonah Gray, curator of discursive projects at the Orr Gallery in Vancouver. In every episode, I interview an artist, writer, curator, or critic in the place where they work. Today, we visit Babak Golkar in his studio in an old industrial building near Main and Terminal. Golkar's exhibition history is extensive and international. He has recently shown in Montreal, Tehran, and Dubai, with a memorable public commission at the Vancouver Art Gallery's off-site space in 2014, and a solo exhibition, Dialectic of Failure, at the West Vancouver Museum in 2013. Golkar was born in California and grew up in Tehran before settling in Vancouver, where he obtained a BFA and an MFA from Emily Carr University and UBC, respectively. In his studio, we sat across from one another at an old piano converted into a coffee table. As you will hear, Golkar was gracious enough to host me even though he was fighting off a cold. I never caught what he had, but it does seem strangely fitting that months later as I record this intro, that I'm still trying to shake off the symptoms of my own latest cold. A cup of tea in hand, I asked him what he'd been working on lately. Um, I'm working on three projects that we can kind of briefly discuss. One, uh, the first one, which is ongoing, and it's been going on since 2013, late 2013, uh, is the return project, which um, twice has been... Two, two bodies of it has been, have been shown, um, once in Dubai and once uh, here in Vancouver at the Vancouver Art Gallery. <clears throat> and that um, is, is a series of actions that I take um, in sort of commercial spaces, usually the ones that are um, big box stores, chains like Ikea or The Bay or Winners, Walmart and such. And... Uh, uh, I eye an object for uh, for a while, and um, with the intention of turning uh, the object into modifying the object into an art object, I purchase them, bring them to the studio, and photograph them the way they are. Print the photograph to the scale of the object, and then modify them. Um, and the modification usually involves me cutting a piece away from, at least one piece away from the original object. Um, and making a little collaged object with the with those cutoffs, and uh, photograph the modified object again uh, with all the tags and labels intact. And with the receipt of the original, I go back to the store and get my money back. And it's important that I um, sort of stay with the return policy of the store, uh, which varies from three to five days to ten days to a month <clears throat> that I can take it back. Uh, what's interesting with that project is that they always say, have the original receipt and have it back in the original condition. I always have it with the receipt, but they don't even know what the original... <laughs> and it's never in the original condition. <laughs> and it's never in the original condition. <laughs> yeah, It is an original condition, but it is, it's not their original condition. I like that. That's actually a good... Maybe that's an alternate title for the and original condition. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, it's also crucial for, for, for the project that the, the, project, the, the piece that's returned to the store is uh, authenticated as a unique work of art. So someone who comes across the, the piece and they 
are really interested in it. Um, when they purchase it, there is a chance that they would see the authentication, including my signature and the date, <clears throat> and could potentially just keep it as an artwork or do whatever they want with it. So I figure that the modifications are severe enough, usually, that I figure if somebody buys them, buys the object, they really like it. They're really attracted to this weird thing. And that has um, varied in forms um, any, anywhere between um, me purchasing a candle from Ikea, uh, melting it two inches um, from 12 inches to 10 inches, and returning it back. And with the wax, I, I cast it my hand in a very specific position. Um, but the thing with Ikea candle is that they sell them in 12 inches, 8 inches, and 6 inches. So they don't have 10 inches. So this is this is an odd odd one out in a way. Uh, so that's one uh, example to purchasing a <clears throat> hand-carved African mask from uh, Winners. Was it Winners or HomeSense? One of those two stores. And uh, commissioning a First Nations souvenir carver from the West Coast to... Uh, to modify it enough so it would have um, sort of a West Coast uh, motif and turn it into a West Coast mask <clears throat> and then returning it that way. Here's what I found on the web for Who's. Great. Siri is not timing this very well. <laughs> we can ask some questions to Siri. Too, Siri, yeah, we should actually there. do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the range. Um, um, the title of the I'll just follow with those two examples. The title of the photographs for the uh, uh, candle is tearless, and the title for the wax hand is never forgetting Richter. Um, I won't get into details of what what they kind of signify. Um, the title for the photographs of the mask is From Africa to the Americas and the object which is the head head part and the chin of the original mask sort of composited in a way that it looks like a little figurine uh, that object is called to cubism so the relationship between those mm -hmm. two is significant but you can see the range of subjects that I deal with um, in, in those two examples the first one kind of really um, my 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 own way of paying an homage to uh, to the memory of the Holocaust and uh, never kind of forgetting that via a painting by Gerhard Richter, um, and the other one, the influence of what the Europeans called primitive cultures on on modern art, including Cubism. I know I I said I won't get into details, but. I, I did. <laughs> I'm happy you did. Okay. So that's one project. So there is an ongoing um, aspect to that, which um, I've, I, I have no rush in producing those works because I, I have to uh, find appropriate objects that speak to uh, an important subject that I have in mind. Uh, so it's been a while since I've done any. Um, the most recent ones, which are on the wall that you've seen, are... Uh, yeah, can you talk about those yeah it's, uh, I came across two picture frames in Walmart um, which had a sample paper inside saying document on them and they look 
um, they propose that these frames are basically for framing your degree or certificate or something like that. They kind of design <clears throat> the, the sample paper that way. So I purchased them and uh, I modified my uh, original bachelor degree and master's degree and put them back on the frames and uh, returned them to Walmart. Uh, of course, photographing the frames with the sample paper and after with with my degrees as a document, and with the bachelor one, I made uh, uh, sort of a collage sculpture, uh, which I turned that sample paper into an origami yacht uh, with two little architectural figurines next to it, and with the uh, masters one, I turned the p sample paper into a sort of a pseudo modernist um, house with a. A miniature figure who looks like a realtor. So the first one, uh, the photos are called To What Degree, number one, uh, and the object for that is called The Bachelor. Uh, the second one is called To What Degree, number two, and the object is called The Master. Sort of... Uh, it, it, to reiterate, <laughs> just because you kind of, you said that pretty quickly, these are your actual degrees <laughs> that you from... <laughs> they, that seemed like, I don't know, when I heard that, it was like, <clears throat> it just seems so like almost sacrilegious or something given how much you kind of you t take care of those things mm -hmm. and that's what I love that it feels like as you pointed out last time you can always order another one yeah. but it's but there's something about that seems like like a real transgression to just yeah. give away your, your yeah the, the, I mean there, there are different aspects to it I mean one is that we all come out, well, majority of us come out of um, uh, quite a few years of being at, at, at universities with a load of debt. And um, I still haven't been able to <laughs> pay half of it. Uh, and I didn't have that much, actually, but I still haven't paid it off or paid half of it. So I figured if I sell these two works, I can pay it off. And that's the plan for these two. And, uh, and also... I want. Um, I, I, I'm approaching <clears throat> UBC's uh, collection, the Belkin collection, to see if they're interested in having the master's degree and the Wasp collection at uh, Emily Carr to see if they want the bachelor one. It kind of makes a logical sense yeah, there's a nice for them to go back to home in a way. Yeah, and and uh, they are supporting me to pay off my uh, student loan, I guess. So that's uh, that's been in 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 the in progress uh, or process and yeah so that's those are the latest ones um, there's one that we're working on right now which you can see the head of the bunny here uh, it's okay. an Easter one but it's really unresolved so I won't talk about it <clears throat> and uh, there's a there's another one which will start soon um, which involves a shovel from Home Depot I went to buy it yesterday, and <clears throat> you can probably tell that I'm pretty sick, but um, I forgot to take cash, and I, all of these are cash purchases. I can't use my card, so I picked the right one after, like, half an hour, yeah. and I went to the cashier, and she said, it's, like, whatever, 40 bucks, and I pulled out my card, and I'm like, oh, shit, I can't, I can't pay with that, and she was like why we take credit card i'm like yeah i know you i you uh, you do i can't i can't give you this i have to give you cash it's like okay so i left disappointedly but um yeah so that's uh, that's one that i'm really looking forward to and uh there's this new series will be featured in my first solo show in london 
uh, in October. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> and London seems interesting in terms of um, being one of the major cities of commerce. Um, I'm really curious to see how this pans out. I might even do one uh, in London just to kind of see how their return policy is or how adamant they are because every time I talk about this project in Europe they're like oh North Americans are so stupid I'm like well <laughs> anyways Ikea is Ikea anywhere yeah. you go they're not even North American <clears throat> yeah exactly <laughs> although it does have a kind of uniquely American kind of feel to it I mm -hmm. guess I've never been to Ikea in Sweden yeah I've never been either or anywhere else for that matter it kind of feels strange. Like, you're not comfortable going to Ikea somewhere else. It's like, I want my own Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how I'm going to be directed in those uh, massive warehouses. You know, I, I would feel lost, probably. Or maybe they've thought about that already. They're, maybe they're all exactly the same. They might be, actually, <laughs> exactly Only one way to find out. Yeah. The, uh, I'm going to be doing that in London. The Islington. <laughs> but they're always out of the way, you know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So that's that's one ongoing piece. Um, the other one, which you and I have talked about uh, at length, um, is a project called uh, La Collection Imaginaire, and uh, it, it involves um, uh, me and other artists, um, some curators, some uh, other people who are involved in the arts. It's not necessarily just artists, but um, one of the sort of criteria for it is that the person who I'm in dialogue with uh, comes out of an artistic practice. Whatever they do now is kind of um, something else. Um, so I'm interested in different practices and kind of uh, surveying in a way of what is going on with my contemporaries. Like I want it to be as contemporary as possible so I catch the works before the work comes out of any studio in a way and um, <clears throat> I have a so I start um, approaching an artist and have a dialogue with them um, ongoing on different subjects we don't necessarily talk about artworks um, uh, but we talk about economy we talk about housing we, we talk about politics whatever culture and uh, that dialogue leads us to uh, exchange of two works so one from me, one from them. And um, I'll, I'll just make this short because I don't want to get into details of it. Yeah, yeah. It's towards <clears throat> a photo project, uh, which um, sort of challenges uh, uh, the, the sort of con constant... Um, pressure of the market or, or um, the model that the market sort of offers to artists and, and collectors and whoever else um, by shifting, shifting uh, and reallocating percentages. So everybody who's involved would benefit from sale of any of these, these uh, photographs if they're involved in it. Uh, so, for example, if, if a set of photographs, it, it's towards a diptych photo um, of each other's work in each other's possession. And 
<clears throat> if these works are sold, the percentage of the sales would would be 30-30-30 as opposed to 50-50. Uh, so that's something that I'm, I've been interested in for, for a long time. But also I've been interested in disappearing um, uh, the actual art objects. So the actual art objects will stay in my position and the possession of the other artist. And it's only the documentation of uh, the works that will constitute the new um, work of art as, as art photography. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a quite sort of complex layered work, but I, I hesitant to share it at this point as I'm kind of refining it. So that's one piece. And on the way, I'm I'm building um, what I think uh, is one of the most relevant collections of contemporary art in in our region, which I'm super excited about and very interested in. Um, and hence the title, right? Hence the title, yeah. Um, the other project that I'm very excited about at the moment and we're um, sort of researching at the moment is I'm <clears throat> working towards producing 12 uh, time capsules uh, for a couple of exhibitions towards the end of the year one in Madrid, one in uh, Turin and um, yeah, these, these objects um, essentially they are the art objects are locked into these containers which also look like art objects uh, so I'll give you an example um, I'll be I'll be producing a painting uh, which I've never done but this is the, and that's that has to do with with me really wanting to do um, objects based on skills that I don't have like I'm going to be casting bronze, we're going to be blowing glass, I'm going to be painting, printmaking, all of these areas that I've not <clears throat> had a chance to kind of uh, experience. Um, so the painting would be uh, framed in a full metal frame, which is welded and inaccessible with a frosted bulletproof glass. So you can't really see what the painting is behind it. You can maybe make out the shapes and the colors, but... That's as far as it goes. Um, and they have a 100-year term. So in a 100-year time, uh, they, the owner, whoever the owner is at that point, they can crack it open if they want and access the other piece in there. But then there is that dilemma. If, you know, if they crack it open, did they destroy the artwork? Did they achieve anything beyond what it was? So... I'm interested in that. I'm again. I'm interested in disappearing the object, and see um, where the desires lie. You know, because when I talk to a lot of people about the return project, everybody talks about the piece that I return to the store. They kind of want to track it down. They want to be there the day that I return it and and buy it or track it down somehow. See who bought it. They've even suggested putting GPS um, sensors in it. So they can track it. I'm like, it's a fucking object, you know? <laughs> it's like every other object. Who cares? You have you have the document of what happened, which is significant, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it also brings photography into question. You know, what's the role of photography? Could it be um, just, just a form of documentation or could it be art photography at that point as a documentary form, uh, which I'm interested in? the basics of the tool, right? And the photos are not, you know, 
like I don't hire a photographer a professional photographer to shoot them we shoot them in the studio and <clears throat> I have very limited skills but I'm happy with them <laughs> I like too that there's an aspect of um, can we call it like self-improvement where you're, <laughs> where you're becoming a painter and you're taking on all these different I mean you're already sort of a you know a real renaissance man oh no if I can say that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, jokingly, I guess, but but you know, I mean that that you're kind of putting yourself through those different hoops to to complete the work that you're not doing, you know, um, you're not using skills that you already that you already have and are comfortable with. You're you're putting yourself kind of you're putting yourself in a you know in a tight spot or something like that trying to force mm. yourself to, out of your comfort zone or something mm. with with the materials and the media that you're using well i like to I, i'm not like my undergrad was all in ceramics uh but by no means am i a good ceramic artist or a potter or whatever uh in fact i'm the opposite and you can ask my old profs or <laughs> my, my, my peers and they'll tell you that but <clears throat> I I really enjoyed experiencing the struggle of the medium if you know what I mean it's a very challenging material you know from from the time that you get it out of the bag it's unpredictable and from clay to clay it's super <clears throat> varied to the point that you know you gain a certain amount of skills to build something and even though there's an enormous amount of pressure from the established language of ceramics of what is good or what is not acceptable as, as a good piece of ceramics um, you would kind of go beyond those and convince yourself okay this is good enough and then you kind of fire it once and hopefully it comes out of the kiln okay very possible that it just blows up in there and then it comes out and then at that point you have a blank canvas so what the hell am I going to do with it now right then you have to have another set of skills and chemistry and all that stuff to to be able to glaze it and do whatever you want to do and and design vision essentially and you do that and then you put it in the kiln hopefully you haven't you hadn't put too much glaze so it would stick to somebody else's or to the shelf <clears throat> and it comes out and it looks like shit you know, because it's not paint, it's glaze, right? So going through that struggle, uh, which takes a lot of time, like from the time that you build something to the time that you get it out, it's like 10 days or two weeks at, at, at times, you know. Um, uh, it taught me a lot in terms of patience, which I don't usually have. Um, and uh, being open to works not being perfect and also being open to uh, redoing things, practice. So I'm very adamant with the idea of practicing art. Um, there is no point that I can foresee in my life that I would uh, be just an artist. I would be a practicing artist until I, I stop physically to be able to, to do anything or, or mentally. <clears throat> um, so... I have been doing a few things outside of the arts. Like I've I've taken uh, swimming classes, for example, of swimming 101. Um, I know how to swim, but I learned it when I was a kid. I learned it in Iran 
where they tied my feet together and they just dumped me in the swimming pool and they said swim so you have to it's it's like it's a lot faster (laughs) yeah we found his first class and he already knows now yeah exactly five gulps of water and a fever to follow um yeah so that that really that method uh, wasn't so agreeable and I'm not a I, 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 I like to be in warm environments swimming pool was horrible I hated it so the first time that I experienced warm water in a swimming pool was here and um, I, I've been here for near 20 years now but um, it just occurred to me that I want to do that and you know learn how they teach it here and even if I did if I took it 20 years ago it would have been different because things advanced and it was such a joyful thing to do. I was with a whole bunch of um, uh, elder, um, mostly ladies, uh, who just wanted to, you know, do the same thing probably. And it was really great. They had the best attitude. I wasn't being judged. It was amazing. Uh, so I should probably continue that and graduate to the next level, but I haven't done that. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, ceramics, again, was something that I picked up a couple of years ago after leaving it for about 10 years and uh, did a couple of projects, as you know. And uh, I, I signed up for Hand Building 101, partially because that was the way to get into the studio, but also I kind of wanted to get exposed to another way of um, teaching, essentially. And I have been teaching this you know the same course for six or seven years but kind of it's nice to put yourself in that position Mm -hmm. and feel the struggle again and so as long as i can relate to the struggle of someone who has been doing that for a long time i'm okay i don't need to perfect a skill i I just it, it just it's an itch in a way like i i need to feel that struggle for some reason um but Brittany and I, my my assistant, had this. Brittany, was you that we had this discussion with about medium the other night? What was the discussion? About medium. Like, what medium at school would you choose? And, oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, was, what, yeah. yeah. So, I never took um, <clears throat> photography, printmaking, painting, um, design. And there's one other department that I didn't do anything. Uh, there is one more that I'm forgetting, but so in six years of art school or even more, I never took any of those for whatever reason. Um, and maybe that was a good thing because I was kind of locked in the ceramics department and that kind of um, taught me that there is value in knowing your material in your field of medium, but at the same time, it limits you to the point that you suffocate if if you want to think if you want to think and produce art if you want to just produce then that's a different that's a different case um, <clears throat> and some would probably argue that photography is you know more open to to exploration which could be correct but I I didn't even want to limit myself to that and uh, since uh, my graduation, I guess I've been making works that other people produce it for me. Um, 
as you can see with these ones, I, I don't have all the skills. Like, I don't want to have all the skills. I want to work with people who are very skilled. But I want to know the basics of it. I want to know the language of material that they use and be able to contribute to it. So it's not just a one-way conversation that I tell them, this is what I want, just give me that. I, I want to debate with them, essentially, and I do. And they love and hate me for it. But it's good. I like that. I think there's something too about that the that drawn out process that and I never thought about that before, even though we've talked about art a lot of times, um, is the parallel between the the um, the ceramics, you know, going in, having one chance to kind of mess it up, kind of seeing, you know, and all of the kind of contingencies of a ceramic process. And I wonder if that didn't, you know, in some way <clears throat> if it's not the echo of that in these later projects, even if they have nothing to do with ceramics, you know that that kind of like ongoing kind mm -hmm. of this way of of rethinking a project at every stage. Just because <clears throat> um, the projects we've talked about already today, it's you know I want to say the process itself. You know they're ostensibly conceptual works, but they're also there's kind of like a baroque element to the to the concepts that mm -hmm. are so onerous and so over the top that they actually have you know they become um yeah that's the word that i think of mm -hmm. baroque, baroque. <laughs> yeah we'll have to have a separate chat on that <laughs> i'm interested in 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 that concept um i think you're quite correct um that consequently i think i've learned that and I've been practicing it or maybe not even consciously practicing it that way um, <clears throat> a lot a lot of, I really enjoy doing having one chance to make something is that that's where you were going with it right yeah I think in so. a way yeah so I like that pressure I like to be able to it's it's coming out of performance in a way like my work has been labeled as performative consistently and I can see that and I have intentions of them being that way. Whether or not I personally, as, as uh, the, the artist behind the ideas, is performing the works, or the objects are performing, or the audience is performing around the object, that's irrelevant to me. There has to be a performative element in, the, um, in all of the works. Um, and and you, you can see uh, a, um, sort of a lineage in all of the works that I've done. Funny enough, the first return project that I did, which was um, not resolved in the way that they are at the moment, was done as a last ceramics uh, project that I did at Emily Carr. So in 2002, I um, purchased a, a vase from IKEA. And I, I was I was casting at that point. I, I'd learned how to cast in ceramics, um, slip casting. And I made a mold out of it. And I poured this really fine uh, porcelain slip, which was tinted light pink. And um, I made it super thin that you could hold it up to the light and see light coming through it. So it was paper thin. Fired it, and it was fine. And what was interesting was that IKEA had 
<clears throat> their logo embossed in in the original object so it got transferred to the mold and then it got transferred to the new object so when i took it back it was no brainer they took it back but that was the only paper thin porcelain not not a crappy clay that they use and uh pink one so it, it wouldn't fit um and i returned it but it ended there like i had no documentations i had no formula in a way or no no pr- processing way of processing the the, the and, and documenting the uh, uh the performance of it <clears throat> so yeah I, I think there is that linkage and then i left it because i couldn't figure out what to do with it and i got busy with with the uh, mfa program right after that but um yeah it's interesting how it's coming together but you're you're quite correct in reading that um that process of having an idea conceptual or not um and going to choose a material and going through with it and making a work is related in a way to the spontaneity that that uh, ceramics requires in a way that's the kind of spontaneity that i i cho- chose to do a lot of ceramicists are very formulaic and they know what you know from the get go they know exactly how it's going to look at the end and they are very successful in that. I kind of don't get a kick out of that in a way for for my own work. Like I want it to look like shit at like nine out of ten when ceramic comes out of the kiln. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to my therapist about this. But um, well, this is kind of a th- this is sort of it like- is kind of a therapy. Yeah, except yeah, it goes out. You know. Um, Anyways, yeah, it's... Uh, People can write in with their <laughs> comments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a really good observ- observation, I think. But I, that's who I am, you know? I like spontaneous things. Like, I would call you and say, are you in the neighborhood? Let's have a beer, you know? And that's... Um, so the... the, the, the that's for me that's that's something that I've learned from from my parents' culture in a way like when when we were in Iran not saying that this is not uh, you know the norm here or or there but it's something that I experienced like you people I think it's a survival thing for them otherwise they just would be depressed and just isolated they they are very spontaneous in Tehran right now if you and I go to Tehran at one in the morning we can call up 10 people and 10 people would show up to do something. That's, that's how insane it is. So they're very spontaneous <laughs> people. Also tells you that they don't have anything better to do. But um, I, I, yeah, I think that's how I'm kind of channeling it through, through the work. That's my way of dealing with, with object and material in a way. Not saying that there is no thought process there's quite a heavy <laughs> you know thought process involved but <clears throat> it's interesting that you picked up on that you just mentioned Tehran <clears throat> and earlier I haven't had a chance to even see it yet but you mentioned that you were that you um, were were part of a is it um, yeah it was an interview an interview in the yeah, Guardian yeah it was an interview done by a uh, for I think they are Stanford University students, graduate students that are sort of they're journal journalism students who 
were given a grant to experiment with this new technology, which shoots 360 degrees all around orbital video <clears throat> of of artist studios, essentially. So there are all these um, GoPro cameras. That's coming soon to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So um, they came to the studio a year and a half ago with their gears, and they spent three days here and and some other artists' studios. And their proposal was contemporary Iranian art. And I'm always, um, I don't get defensive about it or, or offended, in fact, but I'm uneasy with the term. Uh, as I am uneasy with Canadian art or American art or whatever, as I am Canadian, Iranian, and American. I have three citizenships. So I, I've always kind of <clears throat> battled that. But uh, So one of them just called up, and he showed up again last year for another weekend, and we did extensive interview. And then he called last week and said, I have a few follow-up questions, and I'm writing this article for The Guardian, and it has to do with this sort of balancing act or duality um, of kind of being Iranian but outside of Iran. And my immediate response was that the question is problematic. In fact, I I, I, I did say to him that I think it's 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 quite racist. And the question is just the question is um, how would you come to terms as an Iranian artist living outside of Iran and the desire to be an international artist or being identified as Iranian art, artist. So I, I basically said, you know, I, I don't think about that uh, at all. Um, I cannot separate myself from 19 years of my formative time in, in Iran. Of course, we were kind of shaped by, by our childhood uh, experiences. But... <clears throat> this year is the, the first year that my life is divided in half, 19 years in Iran and 19 years in Canada. So then what happens next year? You know, is, is the balance going to tip? Um, or what what does the identity um, question mean in Canada, in fact? And I'm really not interested in that at all. Like, I'm, my work doesn't really deal with that as, you know, our conversation kind of uh, shows. But there are little elements of my practice that of course and, and as we talked about it they, they come from whatever experience we have I can be in New Brunswick and have a New Brunswickian experience of you know uh, <clears throat> tricks and formulas and things like that based on that experience or I can be from Mozambique and have the same so I, I, I think those questions to begin with they are market questions which my position was very clear from the beginning that you know I'm not interested in how artists get packaged. I understand it. I don't deny it that the market needs to happen and the market is very strong and it's very um, uh, powerful and power driven and they move and shake and by no means do I you know deny that or at times not uh, you know take part in it but we have to we have to produce more work where am I going to get money from it's it's a fact um, but the problem for me is this the limited vision that the market provides 
why should an artist's work be only seen as as a narrow window of Iranianness? Why? So my my counter offer was, and I used the word counter offer very carefully because it sounded like a deal that we were making. It's it's a market language. <clears throat> so my counter offer was. Um, the aspect of Iranian culture that I've been very interested in, and you sh- you see it in the mediums that I choose from that culture, and you see it in my approach to art making, is the nomadic uh, culture of of that region. I'm very interested in their economy. I'm interested in their the development of their shapes based on time and space that they have or they don't. And um, I am thinking of myself and many of my contemporaries, whether. Uh, they're Canadian or American or European or Australian as nomadic uh, people. It's just that it happened that we are at the moment global nomads. Um, I know there are problems with that, but that's what I identify with at the moment. You, as you know, many Vancouver artists left Vancouver for Berlin. Are they german artists are they canadian artists do they identify so that's the that's the sort of condition that we have to deal with at the moment but i i don't um identify with it at all politics is something else that comes up quite a bit with my work they uh, they almost you know wanted to just beat me up in tehran last time i was there giving a talk because they kept pushing the work towards politics i'm like Whatever you are bringing into it, that's your prerogative. I, I, my intention is not. And they were, we were, I was giving a talk on, on the screen pots. Because they were saying, oh, you, you're presenting screen pots in Tehran. You're obviously talking about how you know, politics are f- fucked up here and people need to scream. I'm like, no. This was, this was commissioned by the West Vancouver Museum. And then it was shown by the Vancouver Art Gallery publicly in Vancouver. And then this is the third stop. So, I did. I never had that kind of stuff in mind. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 whatever you bring into it, and they really wanted to to do that. So it comes up again in the Guardian article, uh, and it's interesting because s- six days of conversation has been reduced to one paragraph. So um, I misquoted. They they quoted me saying capitalistic. And I'm like, I, I, I think this is the first time I hear that word, capitalistic. Um, and, um, yeah, I, again, I, I totally get it. They they have limited space and they have limited time, so they want to write something. But it's, it's kind of nice to uh, at least start the conversation about um, s- some of these aspects of art making, I think, or practice. Um I think that's that's all I kind of want to dive into with that. Um, oh, they use the word "sexy I- I- Iranian art." Is sounds sexy or something like that? Like sexy Iranian art or something? Is like that, that beside a picture? Did you read that? I did read it. What, yeah, is, what does it say? Yeah, can you, can you quote it? <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, <clears throat> you know, present company. You know, in mind, that seems appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> with the with the voice. Um, yeah, that's your horse. Yeah. Radio voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the topic of politics, I'm. I, I think that with. I mean, 
there's such a range of work that you've made, but mm -hmm. the return project, for example, there's a dimension of politics to it that is not, you know, maybe not superficially um, visible, but they seem like because they're engaging with, you know, if you want to call it, quoting the Guardian, capitalistic structures mm -hmm. um, and political structures in the sense that they are concerning many people and groups of people and relations, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, politics being the ethics of the social, like in the sense that it's in, these are projects that can't happen with just one person, right? Mm -hmm. That they point to a set of relations and point to these relationships of exchange and so on that I've always thought of your work as deeply political, regardless of, I guess, you know, maybe there's other ways of thinking about politics too, mm. but... I, I don't deny it. I just don't talk about it. You know, it's inherent. So why do we even go there? I, I don't want to go there. Um, it's definitely there. Culture is definitely there. But... I, I acknowledge them and, and move on because mm -hmm. I don't want it to be... Again, it's it's very similar to the cultural issue, right? Or the identity issue. Um, it would narrow it down to that. And I think as, that, that sort of... In a way, I've always <clears throat> thought that that stops the conversation. You know, it ends the work. It ends the artwork as opposed to opening up more. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't been surrounded enough by... Uh, or surrounded by enough people like yourself who kind of can unpack things um, in ways that it doesn't close it and it doesn't end it there. Yeah, I should say that when I when I make that comment, I think it's that it's they're opening into the political sphere mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than um, rather than them being like a political statement. Let's say. And so yeah. that it's about that there's a sense in which they participate in, um, you know, I don't know if the word is dialogue or discourse, but they're kind of or that, that they're about kind of um, opening up a mm -hmm. series of relations. Mm -hmm. I'll just leave it at that. I, I think you're you're quite correct. That's 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 the <clears throat> sort of uh, very parallel way of talking about what I think and it's also um, the problem that I have with the two two labels Iranian and political is that that has a very specific meaning and in Iran in particular if if I accepted those two definitions um, I would have really narrowed my own practice down to something that I it's not about at all in fact it's the opposite um, you see in in a lot of contemporary Iranian works that are coming out, some art, some design, pretty much driven, um, <clears throat> aestheticization of politics, and um, it's essentially, you know, um, signifiers that are very well known worldwide, caricaturized. That's what it is. It can be boiled down to that. It could be from calligraphy to the use of veil to um, uh, the use of certain cultural elements and uh, 
patterns and things like that. And it doesn't tell you anything further than what you know already. And that's a problem for me. I think for, for, for my intentions, I need to further the dialogue into a place that either we don't want to go or we haven't gone there yet. I'm not claiming that I'm, you know, seeing something that others don't, but I, I do consider myself as an observer of, of culture and politics and society, and I, I do have a way of <clears throat> filtering that through the work or channeling through the work. Um, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was a very eloquent response. Thanks. I almost feel like we should... Wrap we it. should we should leave it there. Sure. So we've covered good. a lot of ground. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Post Studio Visit. I just wanted to make a quick plug. Post Studio Visit is now available on the iTunes store and you can subscribe just by looking up or gallery podcasts. If you have any questions that you'd like me to pose or if there are artists that you'd like me to reach out to to interview, don't hesitate to get a hold of me. I'm at Jonah underscore Gray on Twitter. The Or Gallery is, of course, at Or Gallery. And you can email me discursive at orgallery.org.